So I ask you to turn to Luke 19, um, and then I also want you to turn, but keep your place in Luke 19, turn to Ezekiel, and this is a tough one. Good luck finding it. Ezekiel 33, Ezekiel 33. Keep your, your finger in both places. Luke 19 and Ezekiel 33. We're not going to stand yet for the reading of the word of the Lord. I kind of want to set the stage a little bit. Um, it was kind of a, a busy a busy weekend. Um, we were working on our house, and then my son had his birthday party, and then my other son had his Eagle Scout project yesterday, uh, built a butterfly garden over at the Brimhall Library, and uh, it, was, it was pretty fun to watch. Um, and then this week, uh, kind of intense, a couple of letters to the editor that came out, and I was a little irritated by him. Um, and then had an interview and a couple of things like that. Well, in the course of the week for me, um, the Lord emphasized, because I wasn't going to deviate from Matthew, I was just going to stay the course going through Matthew, but I think Matthew 21, Luke 19, this is the triumphal entry, it's Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday is where Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah, um, and and I, I thought, you know, Lord, I do want to focus on that, and and the angle that God gave me was uh, two, two conversations I had this week with two professing atheists. Uh, one, I can't tell you who it is because you'd know them, and I don't want to, I, I just don't want to put them in exposure, I guess, is, is the best way to describe it. But the conversation was along the lines of, you know, in, in a, a private conversation, they just said, why, why do you buy this stuff? Why do you believe it? Because they, they know my life, and we're, we're involved in the community, and I, I just turned to them, and I said, I said, my life has meaning. It has purpose. Uh, this, this April 21st, I've been married 27 years. I got five kids. I, I city councilman, a pastor of a church. My life has meaning and purpose. And, and it's, it's not by chaos or cosmic accident or by chance or, or random. And, and I believe in absolutes and moral absolutes. And my life is governed by that. I believe in a right and a wrong. And, and I raise my family in that respect. And I, I participate in the scouts and my boys participate in the scouts. And, and we have this aspect in the community. And I, yeah, in, in a postmodern world where Christianity is kind of the laughing stock and the ridicule of California, uh, you know, and, and you, you get picked on for being somebody who believes in absolutes and calling people to moral accountability you're going to be the butt of jokes and all those things. But quite honestly, it, it's a blessing to my family. I, I, I know what it was like. And they said, well, when did you come to faith? I said, in college. And they go, most people move away from faith in college. Well, I said, I was raised in a home where I don't remember reading the Bible. I don't remember praying. I, I don't remember ever going to church. I came to faith because I thought that's where you were supposed to look at the issues of life. And, and I had already tested the other side of it. And it was void of meaning and purpose. And I found the Lord, correction, he wasn't lost. I was, he found me. And, and my life has never been the same since, and it's been filled with purpose and meaning and a joyful. How about you? I turn the question to them. I said, what's it like, you know, getting higher education and doing these things and being void and not even necessarily being an agnostic, being an atheist where there is no creator, there is no designer, there is no purpose, there is no meaning. It's just void of anything. There's no absolutes. Everything is, you can move the scale any way you want and survival of the fittest. And is that, I mean, you put your head on your pillow at night, does that bring you great joy? And, and in their honesty, it was like, no, nah, really, no. And, and I... And I said, let's say that, that you're right and I'm wrong for the sake of argument. Let's say that you're right and I'm wrong. And, and you know, as C.S. Lewis said, the, the death rate in every generation is 
because the clock's ticking. For some of you, it's going to run out sooner than others. You know, I went back for a reunion. I'm 52 years old. I did a, I officiated a funeral for a classmate. Some people that I saw there, classmates, their clock was... <laughs> they had taken time from tomorrow to use today, and they look like it. And they probably said the same about me. Ooh. But it's ticking for everybody. It's 100% in every generation, the death rate. And I, and I said, so we will die, and we're going to figure out on the other side what it's all about. So let's say that I'm wrong and you're right, and I get to the other side and there's nothingness and it's void to me. I got to tell you, I have enjoyed every ounce of this life. And I've made a difference in a community, and I've made a difference in my family's life, and they've made a difference in mine, and, and the joy of having a fellowship of believers that hold to these truths that have transformed my life and kept me from drugs and have strengthened me, I, I have no regrets whatsoever. So I, it's a win for me. But let's say that I'm right, and you're wrong. And there is a God on the other end of that. As the scripture says, it's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. Hmm. And there were absolutes and there were markers and there were obligations and there were directives and there was a creator. That's going to be frightening because the Bible says all creation screams of the glory of God. I mean, you can, you look out and you have four seasons and the sun rises and the sun sets and the earth is held in balance on nothing. And it, if 5% closer, we'd freeze to death or burn to death 5% further away. We'd freeze to death. We're held in this delicate balance atmosphere. We're looking at the intricacy of every human cell and the, and the design of it and how fascinating it is. And we just see this and we ascribe it to chance and we ascribe it to, to be evolving, even though it's a contrary to the second law of thermodynamics. I mean, we just, we do it whatever we can to deny that there's a creator. And we say he doesn't exist. I've never seen him. I've never seen the designer or the builder of this building, but I know they exist because it screams of a designer. And so does the universe. And you deny that and you dismiss it. Now you're going to stand before him. Oh my goodness. I am. Woo, just doesn't. Ah, that's a tough place to be. I, I sleep well at night. How do you do? And the conversation though not that intense, was very profound. And then the second conversation is we were at the, the, the Eagle Scout project. I had a chance to, to be with one of the city workers and co- conversing with them. And I, I love their honesty and their transparency and the conversation we had along the exact same line. And, and, and politically driven and, and theologically driven and under, trying to grasp why we're here, what it's all about. Does God govern in the affairs of men? Where is this? And it was such a precious time. And I thought, the clock's ticking. These are precious, very important conversations that just in the course of a day, you, you have the privilege to be in front of somebody and impart that truth. And that's, that's why I thought, we are going to look at this clock. And everybody has to see this clock ticking. And the text will show you the clock and all of us will be equipped and prepared. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Luke 19, it's called the triumphal entry. It's the first time in all the scripture 
where Jesus receives the accolades of the people that declare him and decry him to be the king. They call him to be the king and he doesn't deny it. This is the triumphal entry, verse 28. When Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem and it came to pass when he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. That's a Jedi mind trick. The Lord has need of this. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. (laughs) Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt, their robes or their garments. And they set Jesus on the colt. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And the other account says the palm leaves, the palm branches, which was a sign of a king, which is the palm branch you see, Palm Sunday. Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice. And the scripture says they they praised God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That means Hosanna. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And Jesus, in verse 41, it says, now he drew near and he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close in on you on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you with one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And now let's look at Ezekiel 33 and verse 10. God says, therefore, you, O son of man, Say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away, and the word pine away means melancholy or wasting away in in melancholy, longing for someone or something, uh, whining, basically. Thus you shall say, if your transgressions and your sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way of and live. And then he says, turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? The Lord says he takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. So we're going to take a look at both of these. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for this day, Palm Sunday, as we see you declared to the people of Jerusalem as you wept over the city and your heart was broken. If you had known even you, especially this your day, the things that make for your peace, Lord, that clock has been ticking and it's ticking now. And you declare to us that you're the king, you're the Messiah, and you've come that we might, have li- we might live, that we would turn from our wicked ways and live. You don't take any delight in our death. You want us to live. You're a good God. You love us. 
And so, Lord, please, I pray that you'd minister to every heart present and speak and touch lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. In this uh, portion of scripture, as we look at today, Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is significant because this is, this is the time where Jesus embraced and received from all the people the declaration that he was the king, he's the Messiah, he is the one that was spoken of. And it involves in this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 19, it involves one of the most astonishing passages in the entirety of the Bible. I visited this before, I've done it on Palm Sunday, but I I see a a unique combination between Ezekiel 33 and Luke 19 that I pray would minister to you today. You see, in Luke 19, it's one of the most astonishing passages in the entirety of the Bible because it's a clock, much like the one in the back that's ticking. And much like the one that we're bound by, is for time to exist, there needs to be a beginning and an end, and, and the death rate in every generation is 100%. I'm thinking about World War II veterans. There's not many of them left. And they're getting ready to begin eternity. I I, I can't think of any World War I vets remaining. My father remembers seeing Civil War veterans go by when he was young. And my dad's no longer here. Death is 100% in every generation. The death rate is 100% in every generation. As that clock is ticking, you see in this passage in Luke 19, a clock. If you had known this, your time, the time of your deliverance, the time of your visitation, it's the event called, known as the triumphal entry. And, and Jesus in the scriptures predicted that exact day. And he set a clock in motion in Daniel chapter nine. You see, the angel Gabriel came and spoke to Daniel. Daniel was a prophet who had been exiled into Babylon. He'd lost his family and, and he had survived many regimes within Babylon And in Daniel chapter nine, the angel Gabriel comes and speaks to him and lays it out so clearly because here's a man who is pining, longing for a return to Jerusalem. He's longing for his people to be restored as their entire city had been ransacked. And as he's crying out to God and he's interceding, this angel of the Lord comes and appears to him. This this angel Gabriel interrupts Daniel's prayers. He's crying out to God. You see, the angel Gabriel would prophesy of this triumphal entry of Christ to Daniel hundreds of years before it would occur. And he starts this clock ticking. And in this clock, it begins in Daniel chapter nine. And and I want to read to you, it's out of verse 24. And it's going to sound confusing at first how this clock is assembled, but it'll make sense. Be patient with me if you would. It says in Daniel chapter nine, verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, Jerusalem to finish the transgressions and make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy, the king, the Messiah. The angel Gabriel says, there's going to be a time that I'm going to set into motion and I'll tell you when that clock starts and I'll tell you when the most holy will arrive and be prepared for it. And in this, with the coming of the Messiah, there will be a finish of the transgressions and an end of sins. And there'll be a reconciliation of iniquity. And I will bring in everlasting righteousness. And, and as I was sharing with these two folks this week, one in particular, I said to him, I said, we struggle in our culture with the word sin. 
We always struggle with the word sin. And, and this person candidly said, I, I, yeah, it bothers me a little bit. I go, one of my favorite definitions, and all of you have heard it, but pretend you're them for the first time. I said, it's an archer's term where the arrow lands and where the bullseye is. And I said, that's the sin distance, how far the arrow's fallen from perfection. But I said, there's only two religions in the whole world as I was telling this to them. He goes, what do you mean two religions in the whole world? I said, there's only two. There's man trying to get to the bullseye and missing. And then there's God who just moves the bullseye to where we are. Every religion in the world is man trying to hit the bullseye. Here's the problem. Everyone misses every day. How many times a day does a good man or woman sin? And you say, well, I don't sin. <laughs> I, we have double doors, but I am shocked how you got your head through that. <laughs> there are none perfect. I'm, I'm certain that your family member sitting next to you would say, no, no. There are none righteous, none perfect. Do you want me to show a videotape of what you think in secret and say in secret? Oh, everybody got quiet, didn't you? That's us. And the beauty of it is I was so blessed by each individual expressing, yeah, in sincerity and honesty, I, I missed that mark. You're at a perfect place to begin. Because in recognizing the sin distance, now we have to figure out how to reconcile. Bring the arrow where the bullseye is. The word religion is Latin, which means relongari, relink, reconnect, bring the arrow where the bullseye is. How do we get to perfection? Keep trying on that rat wheel of life. Work harder. God is capricious. You have to earn his favor. He is a, he's a disciplining father and he will beat you into submission. You will shut up and do as you're told and like it. And Christianity is a wheelbarrow full of rules with a black cape on a tightrope. And if you blow it, oh my goodness, you're going to die. No, 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 no. That's why the Lord put on my heart. He points out if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? I mean, we've run away from God. We're, we're enmeshed in our sin. We're in a postmodern world. We're embracing secular humanism. We're, we're, we've removed God from our culture, from our schools. Everything is subjective. And, and it's, it's, you know, what's good for you, man, is good for you. And truth is relative. And it's really working well for us. We don't know up from down or right from wrong or left from right. We don't know. And every time we think we have a bearing, somebody goes, no, 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 the rules have changed. And it's all based on popular opinion. And who's ever in power is the popular opinion. And it's confusing. Our kids go to school, they don't know. And we're, we're putting it out there and we're saying, well, this is, this is the reality now. Because the people who are in authority have laid that down. Oh. And our kids are like, really? Amber doesn't have any new clothes. And, and yet we go along with it. There's no God. There's no scriptures. There's no morality. There's no absolutes. Two plus two is not four anymore. It's three. Cause if you really feel and your community feels like it's three, it's okay. And all your buildings fall apart. And so 
You look at California, we are leading in this progressivism. And what do we have? We have the highest debt, the highest taxes. We have, I'm so pumped that they gave us another gas tax. We were already leading the nation. Now we are winning, winning as we're going to the gas station over all the potholes and filling up. Where's it going into the sinkhole in Sacramento? It's just, it's up there. And it's still raining and we're just watching all this water just go out to the ocean. And all of our brilliance. And and we're concerned about things that are just irrelevant. And God says, in this mess, and, and we look at it and we just say, we've made this mess. We've made this mess. And, and we, we cry out, our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them. How can we live? We made such a mess of things. How can we survive? And the Lord says, as I live, I am a self-existent being. I am that I am. I can swear by no other name, so I will swear by my name. I swear to you as I live. I am the author of life, the sustainer of life. As I live, I swear to you as Lord God Almighty, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Whatever your school systems have said about me, whatever people have said about me, whatever popular culture has said about me, and they want to make me out to be capricious and mean, I want to tell you, I swear as I live and as I am God Almighty, I take no delight in the death of the wicked. None. It breaks my heart. Jesus wept over the city. It breaks his heart. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way. Not just turn to do what I say, but turn and live. There's there's something more than this stupidity that you call life that has no meaning. The author and sustainer of life, the one who holds your, your heartbeat in his hand, who wants to give you life and life more abundant, who has set a clock in motion, which is grace between birth and death, where he wants you to be reconciled. He wants to move the bullseye. He wants to save you. And he says to you, turn and live. I love you. And he doesn't just say it once. He says, turn, turn from your evil ways. Evil, evil. Yes, where your arrow is. At least be honest. We're, we're responsible own it. Don't, don't deny it. Own it. There's nobody perfect in the room. Own it. I win. I've got you beat. My arrow's so far over there. It's ridiculous. And if you're looking at me and saying, I'm not a sinner because Rob McCoy, I'm better than him. Unfortunately for you, I'm not the standard. That bullseye would be easy to hit. It would be gigantic. You could shoot that way and would still hit the bullseye. Get off your high horse. You're better than me, okay? Good for you. But I'm not the standard. God is. God is. And he says, he says it not just once, but twice. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why should you die? I want you to live. I want you to live. I was thinking about that. A sinner, the arrow over here, a sinner, you, me, we agree. A sinner 
will not perish because of their sin. They will perish, the sinner will perish because they will die refusing the remedy that God offers to move the bullseye to where you are. I don't want it. I will come up with some fanciful idea that you aren't there even though there's four seasons and the sun rises and the sun sets and we're held on delicate balance of nothing and you see the intricacy of the human cell and we see order and design, uh, but he doesn't exist. Even though evolution is contrary to second law of thermodynamics, I still, no, no, I'm, I, am, I am the author of my universe. As you're screaming in the darkness, a gnat on the butt of an elephant, you can't even get to the next universe because light speed, you don't even know how to travel that fast pocket full of nickels wearing purple waiting for the comet to go by think about it stupid you will not perish because of your sin you will die because you refuse the remedy that God offers turn from your wicked ways and live he says it twice he's repeating it he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked he says turn to me and live I want to share with you what that means Abraham no Bible no church no Christian radio station, nothing, nothing, not p- pagan, but creature of God. Genesis 15, in the night sky, he looks up, he sees the immensity of it. As, as you're looking at this room, you've never met the builder, you've never met the designer, you're looking and you're saying, there has to be somebody who made this. And he looks up at the night sky. And God speaks to his heart. As Blaise Pascal said, we're created with this God-shaped void. And the scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. The bullseye moved. He believed. The word believe in the Hebrew is a cool word. It means to put yourself in the care of a firm foundation. It's better. It means that he nestled himself into into the heart of God. Like a baby into the heart of its mother. He leaned into God. He reconciled. He let his life be enmeshed in the bullseye. He was relinked to his creator. You're a self-made man? What part of yourself did you make? He believed. He nestled himself into the bullseye, into the heart of God. He trusted the Lord. He leaned into him. Ezekiel says, turn and live. And God is so committed to you and me that there's nothing he wouldn't spare to wake us up to see that there's life when the clock stops. In this passage of scripture in Daniel chapter nine, when the angel Gabriel spoke to Daniel Verse 24 was essentially an overview of the entirety of the prophecy that that God gave to Daniel through the angel. The idiom for weeks represents a week of years, seven years. So when it says 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, it's a fascinating prophecy. And a specific prediction occurs in the next verse. Very specific. In verse 25, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the king, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks of years. 
The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. So here, Daniel hears God speak of the coming of the Messiah. God designs the clock. He says, 69 weeks of seven years, an idiom of seven years times 69. And you look at that and it's 480, I think. Is that right? Yeah. 69 times seven. And it's lunar years, and so this is the beauty of it. The Babylonian Jewish calendar, they had 390-day years. So 69 weeks of 360-day years totals 173,880 days. Let me repeat that. Babylonian Jewish calendar, 360 days in a calendar year. Got that? Times 69 years, 69 weeks, 69 years. That's 360-day year totals of 173,880 days. That's what it equates to. God says, Daniel, the minute that the decree goes forward to rebuild the wall of the city that you've been praying for, the clock's going to start ticking. And the clock has 173,880 beats to it. And Daniel looks at this. And then... You get to Nehemiah chapter two. You don't have to turn there. You can do it on your own. And if you have any questions about this, look up Sir Robert Anderson. Sir is because he was knighted. Brilliant. He pointed out that in Nehemiah chapter two, Artaxerxes gave the decree to rebuild the wall. Boom. It's kind of like a, you know, countdown clock. Artaxerxes gives a decree to rebuild the wall. Boom, hit the clock. Countdown. And you're watching the countdown clock at the minute that Artaxerxes gives a decree. And the date that he gave the decree was March 14th, 445 BC. And the clock starts ticking. You take 445 BC, March 14th. You count down 173,880 days from March 14th, 445 BC. It takes you to Sunday, April 6th, 32 AD. Jesus is outside the city, coming for his triumphal entry, riding on a colt. You say, riding on a colt, what's the big deal of that? Oh, I'm sorry. Zechariah 9, verse 9. The coming king rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a colt. And all of a sudden, as he's coming in, and they're saying, Hosanna, 173,880 days to the date he's coming in, and they're crying out, Hosanna. And the Pharisees say, tell them to shut up. How dare they declare you to be the king, the Messiah? We are the political leaders. We are the religious leaders. We are the rulers of this world. Silence them. Jesus turns to them, in case you were wondering if the date was accurate, in Luke 19.40, Jesus says, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. All creation screams of the glory of God, and your king has arrived. 173,880 days to the predicted time in Daniel chapter 9, according to Nehemiah chapter 2, and there you see him on a cold, according to Zechariah 9.9. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know what was a bummer of it? As he gets through all of this, 
And he arrives to the very day prophesied. The scripture says that he wept over the city because he didn't know that this was the hour, this was the day. He wept. God wants you to live. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. That's why he's weeping. What's it, what does it take? What do you need? Stupidity is the thing that, that hinders you. And I even told those two folks, I said, it would it'd be better for you to be an agnostic without knowledge. I, I, I believe in God, I just don't know who he is. That's fair, but to say you're an atheist, that you're foolish. That is, that is, that is to put the, the aspect of a, of a creator and a designer and just say this happened by chance. Are you, are you kidding me? Just because you don't want to be submitted to a God, just because you want to live life on your own terms, just because you, you don't think that sin, you, you, you figured it out and, and, and you can just move the ruler and be your own God. But the clock's ticking. And if I'm right and you're wrong, you're in trouble. If you're right and I'm wrong, I'm fine. But God wants to move the bullseye and the clock is ticking. What are you going to do? Ignorance, stupidity. I love what Bonhoeffer says. Stupidity is more dangerous enemy of the good than malice is. One may, may protest evil. It can be exposed and if need be prevented by use of force. Evil always carries within itself the germ of its own subversion and that it leaves behind in human beings at least a sense of unease against stupidity were defenseless. I took a comparative religion class. Have you ever read the script? No, no, I did boring. You're boring. <laughs> I don't read. Man, I, I just do video games. You're stupid. Seriously. You've been given a gift and you're wasting it. I just, I don't like to read. I don't like to, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. Don't you want to know? Don't you care? No, I don't know God can work with evil, but stupidity is difficult. You shove your brain. I would leave us this, this morning with this thought. God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? I want you to live. Abraham embraced God. He believed. He leaned into God. He, he allowed the bullseye to enmesh his life. But here, here's, here, here's where we break down and struggle. Somebody told you that God is mean. Somebody misrepresented the Lord. Somebody sold you a bill of goods and you're too lazy to figure it out for yourself. I'm here today to tell you, if you just want to pick up the scriptures and just turn to Ezekiel 33, this is a loving God who put everything in motion to make you aware of the fact that he can move the bullseye to where you are and that there's life and life more abundant and hope that you're not a cosmic accident. You're not some primordial soup. You're not evolved from a single celled animal. You're, 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 you were created in his image. You've been given this pinnacle of his creation. He has designed you. He's given you relationship. He loves you. He's, in, he's embodied you with this concept of love that scientists can't figure out. He's made you so that you have to interact with one another because that's community. We hate to be alone. It's devastating. 
And he's given you a way out in the midst of all the struggles. And he's moved the bullseye and he just says, believe and live. But we get to a place where we go, well, that's good for you. I was thinking about August 5th, 2010. I was, I was watching a submarine movie and I was, I was intrigued what happened in 2000 with the Kursk. I think is how you pronounce it. It was a Russian submarine that went down. Over 100 guys died on that. They could have been rescued. They wouldn't accept outside help. The Russians wouldn't accept it. These guys wrote notes. They, they survived for almost 16 hours. They could have been saved. Finally, you know, uh, I think it was the, the Finnish or the Danish or somebody finally pulled the, the hulk of the ship up and they were all dead. But I was thinking about August 5th, 2010. You've seen that movie, uh, Antonio Banderas was in it with the, the 33 men in the Chilean mine. 70 days in, in the bowels of, of hell. The, 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 the oxygen's running out, the, the food's running out, the water's running out. Imagine being in that submarine. I don't care where you are in the world. It's all running out. Your youth and your vitality, it's, it's draining. The clock's ticking. And all of a sudden, as they're, they're, they're struggling to stay alive, a, a hole comes through. There's hope. They send up a note. They say the 33, we're still here. Took them days to drill through. They had to bring in over $20 million to bring in drilling equipment. Half of it was donated by people all around the world. A mine that had been there 125 years, they didn't give a flip about them. The whole world comes out to save them. Imagine as they're drilling through and they send out, they go, we want another year. One savior is too narrow. We don't want you. We don't want Americans involved. We don't, we don't want anyone from, who's not from Latin America involved. Are you an idiot? L- listen, if, if there was anyone who would save me in that submarine, I'd take it. I would take it if they, if they came. I don't care where you're from. Thank God you're here. Oh, one savior is too narrow. Truth is narrow. Two plus two is four. We're bound by this. This is the reality of life. God's given you a savior and the clock has been ticking and he's screaming all creation because he wants to envelop you in the bullseye, in the righteousness of God. He just wants to move it. And all you have to do like Abraham is receive it, believe it, press into the Lord and say, save me. Look up as the air comes through and the supplies come through and and you're saved. You're in the bowels of your sin and deprivation and the clock is ticking and we're running out. And and 100%, every generation. And God says, turn and live. The palm branch, he's king. He declared it 173,880 days to the moment What more do you want? He loves you. He doesn't want you to die. He has gone to great lengths to give you his only son. 
Because in order to move the bullseye, somebody had to pay the price because the wage of sin, the penalty of sin is death. And Jesus said, I will die in their place. And the thing that moved my friend yesterday, as I said to him, if somebody murdered your mom and they found the murderer, and it was conclusive that they were guilty and everybody knew it and they actually confessed to it and it comes time for the trial and the judge says, I rule mercy on behalf of the murderer. You may go free. How would that make you feel? I loved his response. He'd see me in the parking lot, right? I'll get justice. Oh, mercy. If the judge really wanted to be merciful, he should have taken the penalty for the guilty man's crime and said, I will serve life in prison because for mercy to exist, justice has to exist. If God is going to forgive us for cosmic treason, then somebody has to pay the penalty for that. And God said, I'll do it. I want them to live. I will be their savior. I will die in their place. And all they have to do is embrace me, reconcile, relink, press in to the bullseye of God and my righteousness will envelop them because my blood will forgive them. That's why a bullseye is red. And they will be saved and they will live. God loved you and me so much. He doesn't take delight when we die. The clock's ticking and he's holding it back. And all creation screams of the glory of God. The Bible says every man is without excuse. If you want to be honest today, you know, you know, you know that you're a creature and he's a creator and something's amiss. And you can design your own world and play your own little game and whistle by the graveyard. But the clock still is ticking. I want you today to realize as Daniel heard from the angel Gabriel and as Ezekiel so profoundly pointed out, God loves you. He loves me. And he says, turn, embrace yourself in the heart of God and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and forgive you because Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. There's not another one coming. The hole's in the ceiling and God's ready to save you. You wanna wait for someone else? Because Jesus is pretty solid in saving. He saved my life. And I'm grateful. And he can do the same for you. And that is the joy of Palm Sunday. Jesus is King, God, Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to minister to our heart this day that you would take scriptures written thousands of years ago that would set a clock in motion for us to realize 173,880 days to the moment you stepped in to Jerusalem and overlooked the city and you had declared that you would be there and you set a clock in motion and it started the alarm ringing 
And yet the Pharisees didn't want you and you wept because the last thing you wanted for them was death. You came that we might have life and life more abundant and the world has misrepresented you. The world is ridiculed. The world is mocked. But you take no delight in the ones that mock you. You want them to be saved. You want them to live. You want them to turn from this stupidity. They would turn from their wicked ways and live. And God, thank you. Thank you that when, like Abraham, we receive you, we believe you, you move the bullseye and you envelop us in your righteousness. What a wonderful Savior you are. And God, this coming Friday, we're going to see what it cost you, how it's easy for us to say, Lord, save me. But God, you had to take the penalty for what we did. And then we rejoice on Sunday because the tomb is empty because death couldn't hold you because you were without sin. You're merciful and just. No other Savior has ever visited this earth like you. And we thank you. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, if you would. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. And what I'd ask of you is, don't take a message like this and dismiss it. I remember when I was, um, I, I I, I, I never remember praying with my folks. I never remember reading a Bible or going to church. I didn't come to Christ until college. And I remember praying with my swim coach, Bill Stees. And I'll never forget that day. It, it just, it was right in front of me. I realized the bullseye needed to be moved. I couldn't do it. God, would you do it for me? And he did. And I remember praying with him and how much it touched my life. And there's gonna be a prayer team up here. Some of you are backslidden. Some of you are prodigals. You've just run away, but it's Palm Sunday. He's king. And he takes no delight in your misery. He wants you to have life. Just turn and embrace him. Come back and watch what God does. Pray this in, spend time worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's Palm Sunday. He's worthy of our worship. And pray the message in and let God minister to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.